So, welcome to Interviewing Inspiration. This is Marshall Paris. And this is Joshua Busio, and we're here today with Mr. Ch Chadin Lesuit, former president of Well Intervention at Slumberjay, senior investment advisor at Bain Capital, and CEO of Kinetics Energy. We want to thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to having you in our episode. Well, thank you very much, Josh. Thank you very much, Marshall, for inviting me to um, to uh, to this. And hopefully, we can spend a good 25, 30 minutes talking to you about my experience. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So, to kind of get us started off, and to kind of get us in a nice mood, we usually start off with one question that really tries to loosen it up a little bit, and that is, what is the most exciting thing that you did in your 20s? Oh, that's, uh, I did a lot of exciting things. Uh, some of them I cannot even share with you over the phone. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, if there is one thing that I truly um, enjoyed uh, doing back in my 20s is learning a new language. And I learned two languages when I was uh, in my 20s, right? And, um, and uh, I cannot tell you how much... Um, um, I, 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 I gained from that, right? Either in my uh, professional experience or my personal experience. I have so many friends today that I would not be able to, uh, that I enjoy the company and I would not be able to, uh, to communicate with if I didn't speak Spanish, for instance. So if I didn't speak English, uh, the language I'm speaking with you right now is a language that I acquired back in my 20s. When I did it back then, it was just, um, you know, it was just, uh, um, a nice thing to do, right? So I can travel around and so on. But uh, little I knew back then that the company I would work for would take me to to the U.S. Uh, and I speak that language on a regular basis today. And my kids speak that language as pretty much a mother tongue language. So that tells you the power of, um, of uh, speaking a new language. The same for Spanish later on. And I, I learned it because uh, I was... Um, one of my first assignments was to work in Venezuela, and uh, I, I, I made an effort to learn Spanish while I was in Venezuela, and uh, that was just to communicate with people and be able to, you know, order a pizza, you know, without, without you know, needing somebody to help me to do that. But, um, you know, 10 years later, I ended up being the vice president for Latin America, and one of the main, um, the main requirements was speaking Spanish. So that tells you how sometimes, you know, I would call that connecting the dots, right? Sometimes you do something early in your life um, because you just want to do that. And then you end up using it 10 or 15 years, 15 years later. Um, and, and that for me is, is quite powerful. And thinking back now, that was probably the most uh, exciting thing I did back in my 20s. Oh, that sounds awesome. That's super impressive, learning this many languages. That's very amazing. Uh, so I just want to go into our, the meat of the conversation. And so that's actually, over the years, you've actually been in charge of many different massive groups of people, where at Slumberjay, you were in charge of over 9,000 people. Now you run your own company. Can you tell us a little bit of how you actually got started out in your business and professional career? Well, I mean, uh, um, I started, I mean, I joined uh, 
an engineering company called Flamgeo, which is the largest oil field service company out there. And I, I started as a field engineer. I mean, I, I, I'm a mechanical engineer by, uh, by training. And, uh, and I, you know, joined Flamgeo um, when I was 23, 24 years old, right after my graduate um, uh, studies. And uh, um, the, the role I was being a field engineer is really uh, quite tough because you go from one spot of the earth to another and you're, uh, you're in charge of uh, uh, equipment, computers, uh, tools that you would run downhole and so on. And uh, back then there was no internet, very little communication, and you have to pretty much um, uh, find a solution to any problem that you encounter while you are running these, uh, these equipment. So, so I saw, and I love that piece. I love that part of the, the role, uh, you know, being able to um, troubleshoot continuously and, and get the job done, so to speak, right? So I started as a field engineer, and I did that for, you know, for five years. Uh, that allowed me to travel the world. Um, I worked in the Gulf of Mexico mainly, in the North Sea, West Africa, uh, each time dispatched to a new corner of the world, and you're alone or with few people uh, on a platform somewhere, and uh, you have your own your equipment and tools are um, uh, are delivered on site, and then you go out there and you assemble these tools and you run gamma ray resistivity, porosity, permeability tools, uh, sampling tools, downhole, and then once you once the uh, uh, the logging is done, then you pack up and go to a, to a next job. Uh, you had no access to help, right? Some of, the some of the tools would not work, and the only way for you is to disassemble everything and put back the tools. So you had you have your UOP or Uniform Operating Procedure, as we call them, a large book that you have to go pretty much through different chapters to get something troubleshooted or fixed while you are there, because there is no other help but that. And um, and uh, that was pretty much how I started. That's that's actually really interesting. So it really built a large sense of self-reliance in yourself very early, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, uh, it's it builds confidence, and I I can tell you that I did that role uh, as a field engineer for five years, and I worked in Shamsheh for about twenty years, and I did, and I'm now in Kinetics Energy Services for pretty much five years. Uh, but that experience I had in the first five years uh, served me a lot. And uh, it, it, except, apart from the fact that obviously it builds confidence and it uh, and uh, and it um, uh, and it pushes pushes the limit, uh, so to speak, because there is you have to come up with a solution yourself. Uh, later on, uh, when I was managing different operations, uh, you find yourself in a situation where nothing works. And, uh, or, you know, it's either when I was, say, running Saudi Arabia for Shamjid, uh, during wartime, uh, or, um, uh, running, um, um, in Mexico during the gangs in the north of Mexico area where we had a lot of gang activity and we had to, um, bring about, um, the, uh, a very uh, safe operation and make sure that the uh, the uh, the security of our people 
uh, is taken care of. So while we were doing all of that, it, the situations are kind of similar. So it's hopeless in a way, but you have to come up with a solution. You have to be open to new ideas and, uh, and you have to rely on people around you uh, if you can. Uh, otherwise, you have to make a decision and you have to move on. You can sit and wait for, uh, for a solution to show up. You have to come up with that solution. And a lot of that has been actually learned uh, early in my career being a field engineer in the middle of nowhere, uh, troubleshooting tools. Oh, yeah, that's super interesting. Just regarding the, I know most people like yourself deal with all these hardships that we just learned from, uh, but what would you say us college students that we're just starting out, we know that we will face some hardships as well. So with your experience, what would you say would be like the right mindset or the right attitude to go towards these? Because I know in a lot of cases, students like give up or anything like that. So can you share with us maybe your mindset when facing these hardships? Well, I think that, you know, the most important thing is to, uh, is to be curious. Uh, and I always tell that to my kids now, right? Be curious because, uh, I mean, you, you, you know, as you start in, uh, uh, you know, any, any task, that you would be asked to perform uh, in, a, in a new job, right? Uh, some of it may um, may look a bit manual to you or easy, or I didn't do all of this to end, to end up cleaning cables as I did when I was a trainee or painting a unit or, or marking serial numbers on, on spare parts. I mean, a lot of that, I did a lot of that on year one, and it, and it made me think, what, why am I doing this? I mean, uh, I, I didn't study mechanical engineering to end up painting a unit, for instance, or cleaning up cables and stuff. But, you know, what you actually, um, what you actually learn is that uh, it's not just about your capability. You have to be, uh, you have to be open to, uh, to, uh, uh, learn things gradually because my, my, what might appear to you as uh, a very simple task probably has different angles to it, probably has different perspectives uh, to it, and you don't know them on day one. And sometimes it's very difficult to find people that tell you about these different angles. So you have to be open to um, working hard of course, but be open to ask questions, ask around you, be curious, uh, read, read about it, uh, and uh, allow yourself the time to make mistakes and to learn from these mistakes. And I think that's, that's super important, especially on day one, because um, you're prone to make a lot of mistakes. Some of the, the mistakes you know that you should not do, but some of the mistakes you don't know that they are even out there. So uh, being open to do simple things in the beginning while you are learning uh, the, the new role, while you're learning to do uh, complicated uh, tasks is, is super important, especially on day one. Be humble. Absolutely. That's, that is very interesting and very intriguing. And so almost the complete flip side is at Slumberger and at Bain Capital as you're a senior advisor and also in your new company now, you deal a lot with making investments. Now, 
without going into too much detail, can you kind of give us a little bit of a rundown of how do you actually make those investment decisions? How do you decide what areas to go into and which ones you essentially want to stay away from? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, look, you know, I mean, uh, there's not uh, there's not really a lot of magic, uh, you know, about really investment. There is really two different ways, right? You know, one is pretty much uh, dealing with banks, and there is some investment banks out there that run a process to sell a company, uh, and and then you're you uh, uh, you're uh, you're allowed to have what we call a sim, right? You know, all the book about the company, you go through it, and then you decide if this is a company that you're interested at, interested at, and then you decide if you want to pursue that investment and you come up with an offer and then hopefully your offer is the best one and that's how you acquire the company and to do so you have to go through a lot of sensitivity analysis you have to have a clear a clear mind on what you want to do with the company if you're interested in just the company uh, alone or or combining or consolidating or merging with a different company you have to have an idea before you go into such an investment but this is pretty much the conventional way now the other way is pretty much networking with people and then coming up with the investment yourself and what i mean by that is um sometimes an investment is out there right in front of you but you don't know about it and sometimes talking with people and be and being open to new ideas allows you to um, allows you to um, uh, to find out or to um, um, explore new ideas. And I can give you a good example. Today, for instance, uh, yesterday, I had lunch with uh, with the uh, owner of a of a, a good size, about fifty people, right? A consulting firm. They do technical um, advisorship uh, to different uh, ENP companies, and they try to match them with technology companies, with oil field service technology companies, trying to um, to uh, uh, to repair, so to speak, the uh, damages in different reservoirs, uh, finding the solutions to um, drilling um, longer wells, uh, or producing more hydrocarbon out of uh, um, different uh, oil and gas fields. So that's what they do, right? But one thing in our discussion, one thing that we we felt um, excited about, right, from an investment perspective, is to actually start a new practice in this um, advisor uh, or consulting firm where we um, we capitalize or we bring capital, right, uh, to some of these uh, technology companies, some of these oil field service and equipment companies that have unique technology that we know that customers uh, are very interested in, in, in taking that technology to a commercial state. So what we want to do is uh, to be able to talk with these entrepreneurs uh, talk with these uh, small size company with unique technology with uh, a unique patent and uh, help them with capital or uh, be part of the, the uh, be part of the equity structure of the company be uh, be part of uh, um, um, uh, either a minority or a controlling share in this company and help them grow uh, so this is 
you know, these guys, for instance, these uh, oil field service companies with unique technology, they've never really intended to uh, to partner with uh, with a large capital provider like Kinetics in this case, or or Bain Capital Credit in, in another case if it's debt. But really, uh, the uh, their that partnership with a consulting firm. Uh, brings about a lot of new opportunities and new ideas and new customers in many cases. And and we find ourselves in an investment uh, opportunity, as I said, which is investing in these uh, technology uh, firms uh, without necessarily seeking uh, a proper conventional process through a bank. So the point being here is that some of these investments are right there in front of you, but you don't know uh, about them and you have to be open to new ideas and you have to be innovative in a way to come up with a new investment uh, that doesn't go through the conventional investment bank banking process. So that's an example and I have several examples of, of other types of investment that we made in other oil field service companies uh, just to start a new division uh, that matches what they're doing or is part of a, uh, the same value chain of what they are doing. Um, and 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 they never really intended to to go that route, uh, but through these discussions and through um, you know new ideas, we come up with these type of investments. And that, for me, is the preferred way of investing uh, in uh, uh, in in the current uh, environment. Oh yeah, amazing tips. Uh, interviewing inspiration. I hope you're writing these down. These are amazing. Someone with this kind of experience is very, very unique. And just regarding the investment side of it, Mr. Chad, what would you say on the other side? How do you deal with bad investments? Would you, when would you realize to take it maybe as a sunk cost or is there a way to turn bad into good? Can you give us a, some little tips on how do you deal with bad investments? Well, I mean, I think, you know, when you do, when you do anything in life, there are a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. And what I always tell people is to uh, make a decision. Just don't sit on it. Just make a decision. And hopefully with your experience and with your knowledge, um, you're able to take 70% of good decisions. There will be 30% of bad decisions, but at least you took a decision and you moved on. So when it comes to bad decisions, this almost part of the same process. I think you have to, um, you should not obstinate on one mindset and just wait for it to succeed. In, in many cases, you have to be open to change. You have to be, um, you have to allow yourself the, 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 um, the uh, uh, you have to be in a mindset where a failure is actually a good opportunity to learn from it. You, when you go through hardship or you go through problems, uh, you might fail at the end, but it's an opportunity also to shine if you manage to, um, to get over it, so to speak, and then move on and do other things. And that is the same mindset uh, when it comes to investment. And I can give you a very good example. When we started Kinetics, back in uh, January 2015. Actually, we started in August discussing with the capital provider, uh, which back then was Natural Gas Partners. Mm -hmm. And we agreed, uh, they backed Kinetics with $100 million uh, to start an oil field service company. 
So we were all excited. I mean, I put a team together. Obviously, I was uh, doing all the talking with them. We agreed on two hundred million dollars, but then, but then we uh, we we uh, we decided that we're going to start with a hundred million dollar equity, and then we gradually going to increase that amount. So everybody excited, and we got the final commitment in January two thousand fifteen. Now, guess what happened in December two thousand fourteen? Just one month before, mm-hmm. the entire uh, oilfield service decorum, so to speak, right, crashed around us. Because the oil price went from $100 to about 30, 30, about $40 back then, and then it kept on dwindling down all the way to $20 a year, a year after. So, um, you know, so it didn't make sense really to start an oil field service company when most of the oil field service companies around us were um, going bankrupt, and many of these highly leveraged companies with high debt. Um, we're, we're struggling and it didn't make sense for us to start an oil field service company. So we kind of, you know, for about six months, we were weighing the situation, hoping for a V-shaped type recovery um, of the oil prices as, as what happened back in 2008 and 2002 before it. But we ended up with a bathtub shape type recovery where the oil price went to 30 bucks. And then it went all the way to 20-something and stayed there for two years. So we had to be open to the idea that, you know what? It doesn't make sense for us to start an oil service company now. And if we sit waiting for the oil price to go back up and activity to, uh, to, to start back up, we might, uh, we might completely miss, uh, miss the window of opportunity of investing this capital. So what we did, we sat with our with our uh, investors, and we decided that we got a completely change the strategy. Basically, uh, start from a complete blank whiteboard, and uh, and find new ways to invest this money. And the opportunity back then was a lot of these good companies around us were actually in need of capital. They had the right technology, but they were very uh, they were highly leveraged. Uh, with a lot of debt that they've contracted back in 2013-14 when the music was on, so to speak, right? And uh, and then we uh, we went, uh, discussed with some of these companies and provided them with capital. And what we did was called preferred convertible, meaning that we provide these companies with capital, but at the same time, we convert that capital into equity in the company. And that was much more lucrative, actually, than started starting in uh, an oil field service company. So what we ended up doing is we ended up backing or uh, providing capital to uh, five different small companies with a check size of 10 to $20 million, so not much. But it's, uh, we, we wanted to kind of hedge our bets, so we invested in five different companies. Four out of these five companies are doing very well today, right? So, and that was part of the strategy is to be able to, I mean, these companies are kind of bankrupt. They have a technology. It might work. It might not. So let's try to spread, you know, the, the money on, on four or five different companies. Maybe two or three of them would be really very successful and they would cover for any losses from, from the ones that are not that successful. So as you can see, the point being here is that early enough, we realized that, uh, that uh, 
you know, there will be some hardship if we stick to the original strategy, which is investing $100 million to start an OT service company. We changed that. We were open to change, and we decided to do something different. And that worked pretty well uh, back then. And, uh, and uh, we, we, we basically made a lemonade out of the lemon, which was the, the, the oil and gas environment back then. So that's, you know, you know, a small example of what are, you know, the things that, uh, you know, uh, the advantages of being able to, um, uh, to, uh, to change your mind and to uh, learn from a failure and, and, uh, and go op- over it and, and do something different. Interviewing inspiration, once again, amazing, amazing tips. These are very, very valuable. Uh, and then I just want to lead into another question, Mr. Chad. What about, you've been in many leadership roles. You had a lot of responsibility looking for over people. What would you say would be the top three ways uh, or structures to place a management role? Um, you said to place a management role? Essentially, so what structures do you put into place? That way you can actually ensure that your organization is running smoothly and to ensure that you know what's going on. Uh, well, I mean, uh, there are many ways, really. But really, uh, I mean, there is no one unique structure that works, uh, especially nowadays where technology kind of, um, uh, you know, different technology from different industries tend to um, uh, cross-connect or cross-pollinate from one industry to another, right? Uh, so there is no, no unique kind of, you know, structure that would work for any type of industry. And I know that you guys are looking at, um, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're looking at different industries, not necessarily the oil and gas business or the finance business uh, I'm, I'm, I'm currently involved in. So um, I think, you know, the, uh, the old uh, uh, Regan saying of trust and verify is probably the, my best motto when it comes to management is, uh, you know, we put uh, management teams in place and we trust managers to do the right thing. Uh, but at the same time, we ensure that we monitor performance and we make sure that we're ready to make the changes uh, before uh, before uh, things kind of worsen, and 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 also be uh, be uh, uh, ready to um, uh, reward good performance, right? So what I mean by that is that when you have a manager in place, uh, you want him or you want her to take charge, to be in charge of, of, of the operation. You want her to take full ownership of the operation. That is very, very powerful than micromanaging people. And, um, and being able to um, give people responsibilities or growing responsibilities while you monitor that responsibility and, and be a big fan of them, for me, works much better then putting a structure in place and instructing people, instructing managers to do some specific tasks and only um, and only monitor those tasks, you would be that for me is the wrong way uh, or the wrong approach. You have to be open to uh, to new ideas, 
people uh, uh, perform tasks or have um, different ways of doing doing the same thing. And sometimes you would be surprised by the results they achieve uh, by doing things completely completely in a different way than, than what you expected. So empowering people, empowering managers to do the right thing and monitor performance instead of monitor what they're doing, uh, for me, is, is quite important. And, um, and be one of their biggest fans. And that's most of what I do is delegate and watch them perform and enjoy, uh, enjoy that performance and be able to coach, to mentor, uh, be able to, um, uh, you know, to, to see some failures, uh, but also to see some, uh, some, um, uh, action items to fix the failures. Uh, that is, you know, super important too. So, uh, Stay open, empower people, monitor, trust them, verify, and uh, and uh, be uh, the best fan of uh, of your managers. For me, is 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 a way that always worked for me. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And unfortunately, we only have time for one more question. It is a relatively quick question, and that's just if you had one piece of like quick advice or just a book or something to look into. For someone who is trying to get into the investing world and they needed a jump start on learning, what would that be? Uh, look, I ended up doing, I'm, I'm currently um, working with several investors and I'm currently in the finance industry by chance. It's only the past five years. I think that uh, uh, I don't have an MBA. I didn't study you know, M&As and uh, uh, mergers and acquisitions and uh, financial engineering. And I think, um, uh, you know, don't allow people to tell you that you cannot do this because you don't have the right training. Uh, I'm always surprised currently in, in the role I'm doing right now and 20 years after I joined, uh, 20 years after I started working, that... Uh, I deal with a lot of people that started in their lives doing things that are completely different. Sometimes in, in industries that are completely different, sometimes, you know, they might be engineers and then completely doing finance right now or the other way around. Um, and, and I'm always, uh, I'm always um, intrigued by, uh, by what, what brought them to that, right? What brought them to do, to be doing what they're doing. And in many cases, it's just, being open to change. You know, sometimes today in your 20s, you might be doing things because your parents asked you to do so or because you felt it's the right thing to do um, and you decided just to do it. And then you join the, uh, you start working and uh, your ideas start changing and your priorities start you know, evolving. And uh, you might decide that, you know what, I want to be a lawyer or I want to be, you know, an investor or I want to be, you know, creating, designing uh, tools uh, and uh, and creating uh, new um, uh, type of fluids or chemistry, right? So, being open to to change um, is is very important. You know, you might not be um, doing things because you just want to make money. For me, it's not the right way. I think you have to do something you enjoy, and then money will come. If you really enjoy what you're doing, if you go to work at 8 o'clock in the morning and you really love what you're doing, 
money is just to buy a product and you make a lot of it. But you just need to enjoy what you're doing and be open to change. If you don't like something, then be ready to change and be ready to pick up a book, read about it, and start. Uh, the most important thing is to move and to get moving. And I think that for me is, is super important. And what I know now in the past four or five years of um, involved in, in investment and in financial engineering of different deals and so on, uh, I've never really had the formal training to do it, but I was, uh, I, I took a, a financial book, uh, you know, that I'm looking at right now. One of the books I'm, I'm you know, from uh, from my old college at Edinburgh, right? And I start reading about finance, you know, by night, uh, trying to understand what's a capital structure, uh, what is an IRR, what is a cover, what is, um, uh, you know, how liquidation events happen, how an IPO works, and, and, and really, uh, you know, your old experience then becomes an advantage because you are able to bring to the table a completely new set of experience that actually helps you or helps your team achieve better results. So be open to change and uh, just keep moving. Don't stand. Just keep moving and be open to change and don't allow people to, you know, to tell you that you don't have the right training or you're not a, an accountant, so let's not talk about this subject. You can learn anything you put your mind into. Interviewing inspiration. We just had amazing, amazing knowledge from a man who's been through it all, 20 years of experience. I know me and Marshall got a lot of great tips. I hope you're running these down. Uh, we just want to thank you again. We really appreciate it. I know Interviewing Inspiration is going to be very grateful to you, Mr. Chad. Uh, we appreciate it. Interviewing Inspiration, we will see you next week. From everyone here at Interviewing Inspiration, we'd like to say thank you for all of our listeners and all of the people who have supported us. We'd also like to say thank you for the people in Interviewing Inspiration who has made this possible. Harsh Adani, our co-owner and producer. Matthew Regawi, the head of business development and operations. Avin Passoir, the creative director. Matthew Martinez, the business and technical advisor. We'd also like to give a special thank you to Mark LaCour for helping us get started up. He's actually got some podcasts of his own. Go check them out. They're about oil and gas, and they're actually really great. In addition, Cameron Turin, the creator of our music for this podcast, and everyone who has come on the show to be interviewed and share their knowledge. Thank you.